I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. I'm going to talk about returning to the baptismal waters, and we're going to also talk about a living wage as Congress wrestles with the new stimulus package. And then later on in the pod, we're going to interview two wonderful professors, Dr. Tony Talbert from Baylor University, as well as Dr. Helen Harris. So stay tuned. Autumn, how in the world are you this week? It seems to be a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, one of the biggest changes, weather changes I've ever experienced in one week. We went from minus 15 here in Norman, Oklahoma, to 75 degrees the last two days. It's been crazy. Yes, a friend posted something that said, look at the weather acting all cute like it didn't try to kill us last week. (laughs) (laughs) And I could not identify more. We are happily thawed out. Um, No burst pipes. Our hot water heater decided to start working again downstairs. So that was great news. And all of my children are back in school. So I'm doing great. Glorious. That's awesome. Have we checked on our friends down south? Uh, How is everybody in Texas? Our Texans seem to be rallying. Um, They're still boiling their water for the most part. Um, I know they are really excited to see HEB trucks starting to come in with supplies from the reports I have from down south. The grocery store shelves are still pretty bleak. Shout out to HEB, by the way. Uh, That that family uh, and that, uh, that grocery store chain has done some really remarkable things, not only in this natural disaster by giving away groceries and just letting people come into their stores and take what they need, uh, which is remarkable in itself, but uh, they've been big proponents of public education throughout the state of Texas and uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful family. And uh, we, uh, we give them a shout out on that. And, and they take very good care of their employees, Mitch, which is something that I think is important. Wow, look at you segueing into uh, one of the topics that we're going to talk about today. Uh, yeah, the, the they do take care of their employees, and a lot of companies do. And, and a lot of times we talk about these issues and talk about companies who don't. But uh, there are a lot of companies up there that step up to the plate and, and pay their employees uh you know, properly and a living wage and really do a great job. But then there are companies who do not. And so Congress in this last uh, stimulus package that they're trying to pass is talking about raising the minimum wage to $15. And it's getting a lot of uh, resentment, uh, even in Congress. In fact, uh, it looks like it may not survive to be part of this bill uh, because both Republicans and Democrats uh, are asking questions and questioning the viability of raising the minimum wage to $15. But I think it's something that we should consider. It's not something that would take an effect uh, immediately. It'd be gradually implemented over time. Uh, and I think it's just absolutely ridiculous for someone to work 40 hours a week and cannot make a living, cannot put food on the table for their children. I think it's just absolutely asinine. We are the United States of America for crying uh, crying out loud. We should be able to to do this. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I, um, you know, have just enough voices left in my social media feed that I hear from both sides so that I can talk with some knowledge about what both sides of the political spectrum are saying. And, you know, one of the, one of the, the arguments against this living wage concept comes from people who say, well, why should a teenager flipping burgers make $15 an hour? And, you know, as someone who has sons who work, um, do you not feel like they should be compensated for their time? Just like anyone who's 20 or 30 working. Exactly. You know, it's, it is uh, ageism uh, on a youthful uh-huh. side of it, as well as it would be ageism on, you know, a retiree side. Uh, you know, why should people, uh, no matter how old they are, get paid less than someone who is, you know, 30, 40 years old? It doesn't matter what, how old you are. It matters that you are rolling up your sleeve, whether you're 16 years old or whether you're 88 years old, and doing a job that you need to be compensated for it. And when you do that job, you should be properly paid for that, uh, that 
provides income to you and to your family. And so, you know, I think it's, it's a, a ridiculous argument. I understand the argument from a business side of it that, sure. uh, yes, it's going to cut into the profitability of some companies. But I believe that CEOs and presidents of companies are really smart. And they can figure out a way to implement this because everybody says it, but it's time to step up to the table. The most important uh, commodity and asset that we have in business is our employees. Our employees drive the ship. Uh, And so we can have the best products. We can have the best services. But the reality is our employees are our company. And well, so, thank well, you, boss. <laughs> so, well, and that's true. That's that's our philosophy here at uh, Good Faith Media. Um, you know, we feel like we've got good services and products that we uh, that we spin out uh, to the public. But the reality is, the reason those come into being into fruition is because of our employees, because we have a great staff uh, dedicated. Uh, and creative and, and doing great work. And so we invest in them. Uh, they're, they're our number one asset. Well, and when you take care of your employees, then they they take care of you. And there's there's loyalty. I think it's, you know, yes, there are going to be some, some cost-benefit analysis that have to be done overall. But I sure. think in the end, it would really, it would just, it would lift all the boats if we yeah. could just get everyone to a point where if you're working, you can sustain life and sustain your family. Absolutely. Well, Autumn, I did something uh, this week that I haven't done in almost three years. I returned to the baptismal waters. It better not be waters. going out without a mask. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I double mask. Uh, my wife and I are double masking <laughs> these days uh, when we go out. Uh, but no, I returned to the baptismal waters, uh, had mm-hmm. a, a uh, former parishioner in the church I served here in Norman for 11 years uh, call me. Uh, their uh, high schooler uh, had made a profession of faith and wanted to be baptized and remembered all those times where I did a uh, children's sermon at the church and, and just really watched her grow up, and they invited me to be a part of this baptism. And uh, and so it was really emotional. I, had, I, was, I did not expect... It, to be so emotional, returning to the baptismal waters and baptizing this uh, young woman. Uh, but it was. It was remarkable. She is an intelligent, bright young woman, got her life ahead of her. Uh, but there was just something about, uh, you know, participating in that uh, that or, or that uh, ordinance that just really got to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and wrote, how- I wrote about it uh, this week uh, in my article. Uh, just, uh, you know, in this one baptism, it just harkened back to all the baptisms I had done previously from my very first one, uh, to several others that were very memorable and you can read about that in the column. But, uh, it just, uh, it reminds you that you are part of something that is thousands of years old and a practice that is literally conducted around the world, no matter mm-hmm. uh, if it's here in Norman, Oklahoma or in Ghana, West Africa, uh, people who call themselves Jesus followers are practicing this ordinance of baptism, and it's remarkable. Yeah, it really is, and it's it sort of felt like a, a bit of a return to normalcy. You were back in uh, the church's sanctuary. Mm-hmm. How did that feel after being absent for now almost a year? We're approaching a year. I know. Yeah, that was strange in itself because we didn't uh, we didn't do the baptism live in front of the congregation, uh, which our church is actually now in conversation about going back into in person uh, worship because some of so many of our congregants. Uh, have been vaccinated uh, or have recovered from COVID. And of course, they're going to be limiting the number of people who are in the sanctuary, practicing social distancing, mask wearing and such. But going back in to the sanctuary was in itself, man, it was a balm for the soul. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just something about walking into the sanctuary, no matter what sanctuary it is, that you feel like you're on holy ground and and, and carrying and, and, and walking around in sacred space. And it just, you know, something just very, very special. And so it's great to be back in, in the sanctuary. Yeah. Well, we've got an interview coming up here in just a moment with two wonderful professors, Dr. Tony Talbert and Dr. Helen Harris from Baylor University. Dr. Harris and Dr. Talbert have been working with uh, a student group down at Baylor trying to get them an official charter 
both of these um, faculty are, are part of the Senate down there at the university, and the Senate recently voted to approve or to lend their support on the approval of an official charter for uh, this group who is an LGBTQ plus uh, organization uh, and that this, these students are wanting to form their own official group and Baylor's been hesitant because of their stance on human sexuality to grant them this charter. But it looks like it's going to happen. It looks like it's getting closer and closer. Uh, and there's only one other hurdle they have to leap over. But it's a fascinating conversation that we have with these two professors, and we appreciate them joining us uh, this week on Good Faith Weekly. So stay tuned. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got two very special guests with us, Dr. Tony Talbert and Dr. Helen Harris. Dr. Talbot is a professor of social cultural studies, education, and qualitative research and graduate program director for the Department of Curriculum and Instruction in the School of Education at Baylor University. Recently at Baylor, the Faculty Senate overwhelmingly approved a resolution last week to back Gamma Alpha Epsilon in their quest to be charted by the school. GAU has been the unofficial student group where LGBTQ plus students can find community and support and an official charter would grant them even greater resources for Baylor students. Talbert has been the GAU faculty sponsor officially this year and perhaps unofficially as the faculty ally for 19 years that he has been at Baylor. Dr. Harris is an associate professor at Baylor Diana Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. Dr. Harris' scholarship and leadership has positioned her well over the years to collaborate with the diverse constituency that represent Baylor University. Moreover, she has been a voice of great advocacy for the full and equitable inclusion of our Gamma Alpha Epsilon student organizations and all our LGBTQ plus students, faculty, and alumni within the university community. So, Professors Talbert and Harris, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. It is absolutely wonderful to be here, Mitch. And hello, Helen, my colleague. Yeah, thank you. Great to be with you today. Uh, Well, we appreciate you both uh, joining the show today. Um, Before we begin and and jump into uh, what the Faculty Senate did last week, we've been asking this of all of our guests during the pandemic. How are both of you feeling? Have you been fortunate enough to receive uh, at least one of the vaccinations or doses of the vaccinations yet? Helen, I'll let you jump in. You have more experience with this. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, this past week in Texas, the pandemic has been taking uh, second place to uh, the weather. So we had a week of students having a a host of of issues around electricity and heat and water. Uh, And so I'm just grateful that most of that is behind us. And and, uh, I think students and faculty needs are, are being increasingly met. Uh, I have had both uh, uh, vaccine one and Good. two. I'm in my two-week waiting period after vaccine two to be um, fully vaccinated, and I think probably 94% <laughs> uh, protected and grateful for that and prayerful that that uh, can be everyone's experience sooner rather than later. That's great to hear, and I'm glad to hear that the weather has subsided down there and that uh, warmer temperatures uh, and everybody's got electricity. And so that was quite the ordeal last week uh, in Texas. So glad everybody's recovering. And Dr. Talbert, uh, how you been feeling? You know, I have been feeling well. I, my wife and my immediate family have been fortunate in that we have not been uh, impacted um, directly by COVID. We, uh, my wife and I were able to have the first vaccine last week. And uh, we were very grateful to that, that we were able to get on that list. And it went well. It is, it is a, quite frankly, if you can get the vaccine, you need to get the vaccine. And it is a, it is a, 
it's an easy experience and we're slotted for um vaccine round two on saint patrick's day so we're hoping to we'll have to celebrate saint patrick's a little bit early before we go in and and do that but we certainly we are certainly glad to be a part of the the covid vaccinated group here and we'll continue to wear our masks as well <laughs> even afterwards here oh, that's that's great good to policy hear. good yeah, great our to local hear young people have been calling it vaccination nation so welcome <laughs> welcome hey, to the vaccination that. nation that's awesome <laughs> i love that so so Last week, uh, big news came out of Baylor that the Faculty Senate voted in an overwhelming majority uh, to support the uh, unofficial group, that uh, student group, uh, Gamma Alpha Epsilon, uh, which has been the unofficial group for LGBTQ plus students at Baylor University, uh, encouraging the administration to offer them a charter. So that was big, big news. So we've got some questions about uh, what happened last week and your responses to it. Excellent. It was big news, and it was exciting. So grateful for our faculty senate leadership and our central uh, leadership that continues to, to recognize the importance of this this time. Absolutely. As our podcast listeners know, we've interviewed um, Emma Fraley and uh, some other students affiliated with GAU on the podcast before. They are delightful and refreshing and make us all look forward to what that generation's going Absolutely. to do as they move into leadership in, in the real world outside of the university. But before we dig a little deeper um, into this official charter, can you tell us a little bit about the process? What will an official charter provide GAU, and how has this process in obtaining a charter been different from other groups seeking charter? Well, Autumn, uh, I'll tell you, I, I also want to just acknowledge Emma Fraley. Miss Fraley is truly a representation of our Baylor University students, uh, present, past, future. She is a an exceptional leader. She is an exceptional visionary, uh, and and I am just proud to be serving along with with Emma. Uh, she makes us all look good, quite frankly. Uh, the, the, what I say to Emma is that my role as faculty sponsor is to get out of her way and uh, let her lead. Uh, and so it is. Thank you for acknowledging her, and we will throughout this conversation. So what is it? What is it? Uh, uh, gamma Alpha Epsilon uh, Charter mean? And I'm about the process here. So really, you're going to hear me talk about throughout our conversation today, really three main points. And what it means for the students in Gamma Alpha Epsilon is that they will be joining uh, the other students that represent the 300 plus already chartered student or student affiliated organizations at Baylor University. And the three really issues that we want to make sure that it's understood is that Gamma Alpha Epsilon's chartering as an official student organization really gives them full access and equity to representation. Representation as a part of the student organization, part of the student governance, a part of just the, the conversation at Baylor University. It also gives them full access and equity to recognition recognition as a group that speaks to constituencies at Baylor University, past, present, and we know future as well. Um, and then finally, it gives them full access and equity to being a part of Baylor University's Illuminate Vision. Now, Baylor Illuminate Vision is a bold academic vision, and our Gamma Alpha Epsilon students, our LGBTQ plus student uh, representation, at the university uh, is a part of that illuminate academic vision. And so it's important for us to recognize that access and equity for representation, access and equity for recognition of the students, their contributions, and then also being fully engaged in our Baylor Illuminate Vision strategic plan is what the chartering of this organization is about. Just like we have chartered 300 plus other student organizations. Quick statement on uh, the process. The students have gone through the process. It's a six-step process with student activities. Um, and our students have for uh, the Gamma Alpha Epsilon group, the recent group here, as well as the group that preceded Gamma Alpha Epsilon have gone through the process. But they've been held up 
uh, really at the the fifth and sixth stage. And the fifth stage is attending a chartering boot camp and then being fully recognized. Our students have met with student activities. They've reviewed all the policies. They've signed off on agreements. They've identified me and others as leading their faculty uh, sponsorship group. And they've even completed the application. And I think what's been different is, is that there has been a slower process, perhaps a bit more scrutiny that our Gamma Alpha Epsilon students have gone through, and yet they are at the precipice of simply being recognized uh, as a, a full chartered organization uh, so they can represent uh, here at Baylor University. Now, professors, there has uh, obviously been some controversy uh, in granting the charter. Um, and it's been delayed for several years now. The process has slowed down, as uh, Dr. Talbert just mentioned. Um, but there's something that's kind of looming over this. And Baylor issued a statement a few years back, a statement on human sexuality. And it reads, Baylor University welcomes all students into a safe and supportive environment in which to discuss and learn about a variety of issues, including those of human sexuality. The university affirms the biblical understanding of sexuality as a gift from God. Christian churches across the ages and around the world have affirmed purity and singleness and fidelity in marriage between a man and a woman as the biblical norm. Temptations to deviate from this norm include both heterosexual sex outside of marriage and homosexual behavior. It is thus expected that Baylor students will not participate in advocacy groups which promote understandings of sexuality that are contrary to biblical teachings." Now, this seems a bit problematic uh, when you think about char or Baylor granting a charter to an organization that uh, the primary existence is to provide community to LGBTQ plus students. Now, for those of us who are advocating for this inclusion and equality, do you think this statement stands in the way between uh, the university granting this GAU an official charter? And if it does, do you think Baylor's going to have to change the statement in any way? Helen, I'll jump in after you on this, if you, right. if you wish. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, my, my concern is that the statement and this discussion implies that there's one Christian, one biblical position and understanding of sexuality and, and of marriage. And we know that that's not true. There are multiple denominations, congregations, writers and scholars who've identified different understandings of scripture and different policy responses as a consequence. Um, we also know that our understanding of a lot of divisive issues has changed through the years. The church's position on women in ministry, women in leadership, on divorce and remarriage, and, and, and other statements have changed through the years as we understand uh, scripture and understand different people's perspectives uh, more fully. So to affirm that there are different understandings in Christian denominations and groups, including Baptist groups and congregations and among individuals, while acknowledging that all students who enroll at Baylor and pay tuition and fees are entitled to equitable services and opportunities seems possible. In fact, it seems imperative to me. And I, I hope we'll continue to have conversations that value multiple perspectives and ways that are fair to all. That's what a research one university does. That's what scholarship is about, recognizing that some perspectives are not only unfair, but are harmful to others. So we'll keep working on the importance of racial equity and keep working on the importance of this equity. So do you think, uh, because I, I agree with you 110%, uh, I just you know, want to say amen, amen, amen to everything you just <laughs> vocalized, but there still is this statement on record. Do you think, or does the faculty senate have any power to persuade the larger university and the administration that, hey, this statement needs to be revisited? Um, and, and either totally repealed or at the very least reformed that acknowledges that there are other perspectives out there on marriage mm -hmm. and relationships and gender identity. Uh, how, how much power the Senate has to change the statement is really not a question I can answer. Tony may have a, a better idea about that. 
but the fact that the conversation is happening mm-hmm. is really important. Um, we held uh, in the fall of 2019 um, faculty focus groups. Uh, another faculty member and I uh, facilitated those groups. We heard from um, almost 100 different faculty from across academic units at the university, the Senate got the report of, of, of those meetings. They, they know that while there are different perspectives among faculty on campus, that, that at least in those faculty focus groups, there was a large, a large percentage of uh, faculty for whom uh, this statement and not uh, being supportive of the student uh, organization for LGBTQI students uh, was, was not their, not their position. And I think the, the faculty senate are, are elected to represent the faculty, and I think that's part of what you're hearing. Sure. Not that there aren't multiple perspectives, but this is a very strong and compelling perspective. Right. Tony, I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, I agree. I stepped on your wonderful, important statement there, Helen. And and I want to reiterate something that Helen said and, and, and Mitch and Autumn really kind of make a, a couple of points here. One is this, is that, you know, this, you asked the question, the human the statement on human sexuality at Baylor University, does it stand in the way of chartering of Gamma Alpha Epsilon, and should it be changed? And so I want to answer that two two questions, kind of break it up. The, the abbreviated answer is, does it stand in the way? I would argue no, that first off, Gamma Alpha Epsilon is seeking, once again, for to be chartered as a student organization with full equity and access to representation recognition as a Baylor University, as part of the Baylor University community. You know, the statement of human sexuality is is an important topic. You've raised that, Mitch, and, and I agree. It's an important topic for robust and reasoned discussion within this academic community. But Gamma Alpha Epsilon, just like 300-plus other student organizations um, that have been chartered by the university, their membership – of agrees and disagrees with philosophical and policy statements at Baylor University across the board. And regardless of the philosophical and policy statements, agreement and disagreements on matters of economics, academics, politics, and many other categories, what we know is is that Gamma Alpha Epsilon uh, has contributed over the years, as well as the uh, previous LGBTQ groups and in persons across the organizations. And so I do think it's going to be an important conversation, but we want to separate out the idea of Gamma being chartered because it's what is the right thing to do for equal access and representation, and then entering into these conversations like we would with many other topics and other uh, issues that not all organizations agree with. Uh, across the board. I I, I do want to say this is that once again, Gamma is looking for a seat at the table, a table that they help Baylor University build. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an important aspect here along the way. Yeah. I think that's vital. That's a vitally important point because what, uh, uh, especially the students when we visited with them previously, the one thing that they conveyed beautifully, they had this sense of they love their school, they love their university, yes. and they want full participation in their school. That's all they're asking for. It yes. wasn't though they, I mean, obviously they, they have their uh, opinions, they have their convictions, uh, their advocates in a way, but that didn't come across in our conversations with them. They simply just wanted to be acknowledged and a seat at the table, as you mentioned, Dr. Talbert. So it's good to know that even if, you know, as, as an alumni, I think the statement needs to be revisited obviously, but it doesn't have to go away for the charter to be granted to GAU. That's a very important point. So thank you for, for clarifying that. Well, and just looking at the, the statement, um, there's a lot of gray murkiness around it when it comes to other student (laughs) groups that are chartered as well. Um, that definitely are not, um, you know, really highlighting, purity <laughs> with their practices. So I think, you know, I'm really surprised that that statement still stands as it is. Yeah. Um, so on Baylor's website, they provide statements um, on human sexuality and frequently asked questions. They specifically mention their historic partnership with Texas Baptist churches. As a faith-based institution with close ties to the BGCT, how much influence are conservative Christians having on Baylor's consideration of their LGBTQ plus students in the granting of this charter? 
I'm going to jump in on, on this one, and, and I want Helen of obviously for both of us together to kind of sort through as we've we've been at Baylor University for a number of years together and had an opportunity to serve. And one of the things that, Autumn, I, I love this question because what it speaks to is this idea of Baylor University as it is an academic community. And so the voices we know of conservative Christians, of moderate Christians, progressive Christians, and other faith and philosophy constituencies that are part of Baylor University – have all influenced this conversation on chartering Gamma Alpha Epsilon just as they influenced the other conversations around policy and economic, political, academic, social across the board. But essentially, you know, the point that we, we keep coming back here again is this, is that Baylor University chartering Gamma is a part of that tradition of, of giving that diverse constituency that is a part of Baylor's representation and recognition. And one of the things I, I love about Baylor is that if we think about Baylor as a microcosm of the national and international Christian communities, which are not monolithic, we know they 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 are they are dis, they are very they're discerning in their interpretation and their deliberate in, uh, implementation of Christianity. <laughs> so we know that the Christian community nationally, internationally, and at Baylor University is really a mosaic of statements of faith and and an expression of this philosophy. And so one of the things that I I always say is that Baylor really is a special place because it gives space. And it honors a diverse conversation across the mosaic of Christianity as well as other faith traditions and philosophical traditions. And that's what contributes to this international or this intellectual, cultural, and social vibrancy of our community. So, yes, the conservative voice absolutely has had influence. No more, no less, perhaps, than our moderate, our progressive, as well as other traditions here. Um, and what we know is is that I think all persons in good faith speaking here to, to this <laughs> nicely bit, done. Thanks for the plug. Appreciate you're, it. You're, you're welcome. You're <laughs> welcome. But in good faith, want there to be equal representation yeah. uh, for the rights and responsibilities and privileges of this student organization, and as what, well as our other. What you said a moment ago, says. Tony, that uh, the students simply want a seat at the table, and I think a lot of times we fall into this false dichotomy of if I get a seat at the table, it doesn't mean you lose your seat at the table. Right. It's that we're building a bigger table together and we want Thank all you. of these voices uh, at the table to, for have a robust, a robust conversation and dialogue uh, on the most important issues that we're facing as a society today. So I think that, you know, what you said is just very eloquent and very important to, to, to this topic. Well, let's shift gears a little bit uh, away from the controversy. Now, the <laughs> vote to affirm the resolution supporting GAU by the Faculty Senate was extremely significant. Uh, for the university, for the students, and for the larger Baylor family. Why was it significant, and why did the faculty decide to move forward with affirmation? Helen? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that the, that the faculty focus groups, which the Senate was deeply involved in, uh, sent representatives. Uh, we had focus groups for Senate groups, uh, and then and then academic unit uh, deans and chairs also nominated people from their academic units for additional faculty focus groups, uh, and I and I the the Senate was interested in hearing how those went, and and I and I need to say that while uh, it's pretty clear to you, I'm sure what my personal perspective is, um, those of us who led and facilitated those groups treated that while it wasn't a research project treated it like a research project. Uh, we used reflective structured dialogue as a process. Uh, we developed questions and a method that did not insert in any way our own bias. People had the same amount of time to speak. Everybody had a chance to speak. It wasn't a debate. It was an opportunity to listen to understand and to speak to be understood. And that, and that process then I think gave information to the Senate about what a cross section of the faculty uh, understood and believed about this. And, and a fair amount of that conversation included reflection on Baylor's position as 
a research intensive uh, knowledge development, knowledge dissemination uh, university. And, and what that means for uh, recruiting students, for recruiting faculty and staff, for honoring the people who are, uh, have multiple perspectives, who are faculty and staff, and who are students on the campus. Uh, and I, I feel like, uh, I, I really believe that the Senate was uh, with with the support of the president and the provost, was on a on a mission to understand more about what the perspectives at Baylor were, care about those perspectives, and have responded to that with with this resolution. That's great. With this vote. Great to hear. Good to hear. But let me so, let me say something real quick about that. Helen led. Dr. Harris led a brilliant conversation, and 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 I will say I was I had the privilege of being invited uh, as a representative there. And in every one of our the, the groups, Helen and uh, another one of the, the – Jeremy Counselor from the law school. Jeremy, uh, it just it – was, it was a conversation that was equally represented across the board. And it goes back to that wonderful comment here is that it, it, every time we gathered, it was a mosaic. Mm-hmm. It was a mosaic of the tapestry that is Baylor University. And it was, it was, it it was an example of what happens when you're, you invite people in good faith and in, in, in good conscience, but who are intellectually curious and, and, and uh, just socially engaged to have a conversation. And by the way, disagree with one another and still care deeply about the institution that we all equally serve. And in fact, care deeply about one another that, is why this is such an important conversation and why it's so important that we model this for our students by allowing our students to model for us uh, Mm -hmm. this same process here. So thank you, Helen, for leading those conversations. I love that. So as folks who are boots on the ground there in uh, Waco, tell us a little (laughs) bit about the feedback from students and alumni, um, positive, negative, let us know what you've heard. I, I, I will say, I mean, I have, here's the thing about, and once again, I, I hope that I'm not in an echo chamber as the faculty <laughs> uh, advisor. I, I get to hear lots of feedback from different groups, but it, overwhelmingly uh, what I've heard, in fact, it in some ways represents kind of the, the nation's attitude about uh, about full rights and responsibility of LGBTQ uh, persons in our nation as well. Overwhelmingly, it's been enthusiastic support mm. all the way to so why is this an issue not apathy but surprise right. now, yeah. why is it an wait, issue wait a minute what year is it <laughs> yeah yeah are you saying that what you want is for all students to to have voice and be a part and have responsibilities though have responsibilities along with those privileges and so i you know i, I overwhelmingly i keep hearing enthusiasm as well as don't we have other issues we need to move on and address uh, and such? So it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating response. Helen, how about you? What did you? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm on faculty in the, in the school of social work where our commitment is to work with all persons with deep respect and, and with all persons toward their own self-determination. And, and so helping students understand professional ethics, helping students understand different populations where they may agree or not agree religiously, spiritually, whatever, um, it is, is an important part of our, of our curriculum and, and our conversations. And, and, and so there are times when our alums uh, are, saying what what is the deal why what is it that Baylor doesn't get about this um and and you know my response is these conversations matter because we're having them in the classroom we're having them in student organizations um and the more the conversations happen the the better uh across across the university it's not a question or a discussion where everyone at Baylor agrees, mm-hmm. uh, but in an academic setting, having everyone agree is really not what you're looking for. Wow, <laughs> you're really looking for robust, robust conversation, critical thinking, which is different than criticism. Um, and and I heard recently from an alum who, while she was a student, she's an internet. She was an international student, came from a country uh, where LGBTQ persons 
don't have rights uh, mm -hmm. in the same way uh, that are now possible in, in the United States. Uh, and and came and had several private conversations with me in my office saying, I don't know if I can do this thing called social work because, uh, you know, my beliefs are, are deeply embedded in this, in this other perspective. Um, but, but we had very good conversations. We read things together and talked about those things and um, talked about what our code of ethics uh, uh, requires in terms of practice, not in terms of beliefs, but in terms of practice. Uh, and she recently uh, reached out to me. She's been out in the field for three or four years now and said, I just need to thank you for those conversations because I'm now working in an agency where my primary population are LGBTQI wow. persons. And, and I, I have been able to understand finally what you were saying. So I've been practicing ethically, but now my heart and my head are together. Oh, uh, and, 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 I, and I get it because we had those conversations um, that helped me with my religious and faith perspectives, with my understanding of people, and with my respect for difference. And, and that's overwhelmingly what I hear back. That's a, alums. that's a fantastic story uh, and a great response. Sounds like you, uh, a lot of it's positive. And so, uh, Dr. Talbert, if you're wanting some hate mail, uh, I've got plenty of it. I can send you some of mine <laughs> if you would like no, some. I, I, I receive enough of that on the rejections of my publications. Okay. So, uh, okay. It's just a different type of, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. But, but but yeah, they're fun to read, though, aren't oh, they? Oh, they're, so they're, they're adorable. I just, yeah, I just that's right. yeah, as my grandmother said, bless their hearts. There are different ways to spell heretic. That's what I <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I'm glad you bring that up because some of the research that, that uh, Dr. Yancey and, and uh, uh, others in the school are engaged in is working with congregations to hear their stories about mm -hmm. discernment processes. Mm -hmm. So how do congregations take on the question of mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus uh, inclusion, yeah. um, the hiring of, of a, of a gay minister or a lesbian minister for example, or a transgender uh, minister, the, the leadership uh, in the church, mm -hmm. the participation in, in church sacraments, marriage and adoption and baptism and, um, and, and we've heard in 97 interviews from, uh, from 21 different congregations across three denominations, the, the processes that folks have engaged in and how, how hurtful and how, what a blessing it has been, how painful it sure. can be when people disagree, but how, what it means when people of faith can sit together and say, you know, I feel heard and understood and I, and I get, I get what you're saying, whether I'm there in my own spirit and belief or not. Uh, and, and I've been, I've just been gratified by the possibilities that exist when people of good faith sit and hear each other and speak to each other with respect. I love that. Yes. Thank you so much. Well said. Well, we're getting close to our time together, or to the end of our time together. Uh, and before Autumn asks our final, final question, um, I just, I just, I really do think it's just a matter of time that uh, uh, GAU is granted the charter. Also, mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of time that uh, Baylor will not only become a welcoming community for LGBTQ plus people, but an affirming community uh, of them as well. Uh, because I, I believe with all my heart, Baylor's going to end up being on the right side of history on this, uh, because it really is a non-issue for a majority uh, of people, and I would even say a majority of conservative Christians. It's becoming mm -hmm. less and less important uh, to them that they, they make a, a hard stance on this because they of the relationships that they have fostered with LGBTQ plus people and acknowledging their full humanity and the, the, the need for equitable treatment in the church and under the law. So I just think it's a matter of time. So with that, let me ask you this. What can alumni and students do to help encourage Baylor to grant this charter uh, for these students? 
Well, I, I will say we have an amazing alumni network. We, uh, you know, Baylor's a great academic institution. Uh, it is it is truly an amazing place. And like great teams, great orchestras, great societies, they, they welcome this diversity of voices that contribute to the building and preserving of uh, kind of, I keep using the word mosaic, but this mosaic of excellence uh, here. And I, I think what we're seeing right now is that the constituencies, and as you said, Mitch, across the board, politically, philosophically, um, they are contacting um, faculty. They are reaching, and they're part of their the alumni network. They continue to contact our uh, executive leadership. And when I say contacting, what I'm talking about here is not once again not the hate mail or right, not sure, the sure. Uh, not the let's flood the uh, let's let's storm and flood the uh, the the the, the uh, internet here or the whatever. It is. But it's about entering into that conversation and asking for Baylor to move forward so that we can continue to be a part of uh, really the the larger academic community that we are part of too, and to also fulfill our our academic uh, illuminate vision. So continue to reach out, continue to speak, continue to be a part of of that organization. Uh, you know, the organization. Join the alumni association and be a part of the the, the vocal right into our lariat, right to our to to uh, send the emails. Um, voice and communication is essential. Um, it helps leadership to hear what leadership at times needs to hear, and that is moving forward. Um, I, I wanna say this real quickly. The university is a unique place, and it goes back to that faculty senate. We, we, we honor the tradition of faculty governance, and we continue to do that. And we also honor this tradition of alumni input within the, the, the institution that they have given to. And so uh, it is important that we that each of the person who has a, a connection with Baylor University recognize that uh, we, we, we govern this university through a collaborative constituency. Uh, command decisions have to be made from time to time, especially when water pipes break. We don't want a <laughs> committee to decide to shut it off. But in matters like this, we have collaborative um, decision making. And so right contribute, be a part of that, this conversation. It is essential in all the networks that you repeat of. Last question on this topic. Um, what's the next step for the, for GAU? What, what hurdle do they now have to uh, leap over to get the, the official charter? I think GAU and, and all of our students and alums need to, and faculty need to, and staff need to continue to be part of conversations, to encourage conversations, and, and to, to love one another in ways that don't say there's a demonized voice on either side sure. or, or, you know, an angelic voice that, I mean, that all of our perspectives come to the table. We treat with one another with respect. We understand that our diversity strengthens us. And, and that's not just around LGBTQ. We still have hard and many conversations to have about racial equity and how mm. we handle uh, race at, at Baylor. And, and we have an administration, I believe, who knows and understands that and, and wants us to continue to engage. So let's be faithful to one another and do that. Tony? I'm going I'm to give you a quick answer, believe it or not, uh, and that is this, is that Gamma Alpha Epsilon has, uh, has met four of the five uh, areas that for being fully chartered. They've met with student activities. They have reviewed and signed off on the policies. They've identified a faculty organizer, me and others. They have completed the application. They are simply waiting to be invited to the chartering boot camp. And that invitation comes from our student activities leadership. Um, there is full support as we see overwhelming support for the chartering of Gamma Alpha Epsilon. Where do they need, what do they need now? To be invited to moving forward as boot camp to the chartering bootcamp and to be chartered as a student organization. We're simply waiting for that invitation to the table that we help build at Baylor University. 
That's a well, great I'm way to I'm personally it. going to go buy some calligraphy pens and some vellum paper so we can Ooh. speed up this invitation process. Nice. A calligraphy uh, invitation would be fabulous. Definitely <laughs> so. You know, hey, I would have accepted an email. I think Emma would have too, but uh, thank I'll you, Autumn. It's taken cool. this long. It needs to be fancy. Yeah. I just, it does. <laughs> it does. The pen needs to be involved. Yes, so our... <laughs> Our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of all of the things we've talked about today, um, what are, can you tell us what your more to tell is? Tony, you want me to go first? So please you have do. the last word. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, please. So my experience professionally and personally as a Christian is that the answer to most questions begins with caring about one another and seeing each other as God's creation, all of whom have strengths and flaws and grace and love never fail. That for me, that's where it begins and ends. And so does my attitude toward my Christian kin reflect the love that Christ has for them and for me? And if not, then the work that needs to be done is mine, not theirs. And we still have work to do at Baylor. So may we be faithful. Spoken like a beautiful social worker. I love it. <laughs> I know. She's, she's also throwing Jesus in there, you know, love God, love your neighbor kind of stuff. So uh, uh, I know. it was beautiful. I yeah. mean, Helen, Helen set me up yet again. She I did. mean, she is, uh, you can't follow Helen. Let's just say that. So instead, I will pick up the crumbs that Helen has, has <laughs> left from the rich, rich, delicious bread that she has left there. You know, more to tell, Autumn, more to tell is this, is that the students at Baylor University all the students here chose Baylor University. Our LGBTQ plus students chose Baylor University. But here's something I think more important. Baylor chose them. Baylor chose them when they applied. Baylor chose them because they saw something that they contribute to our wonderful history, our wonderful present, and our, our future. That is just amazing. So students chose Baylor. Baylor chose them, and you care for those who are chosen. You mm. care for those who are chosen. And that is essential. Our LGBTQ plus, all of our students need to have equal representation, equal voice at the table that they all built. And uh, there's more to tell. I think when we come back and we're celebrating the calligraphy invitation that you are going to send uh, through uh, services there, Autumn, I think it's going to be fun when we, we, we celebrate um, the reality that uh, Baylor is a special place and it's time to move forward with our, uh, our Gamma, Alpha, Epsilon, LGBTQ+, all of our constituencies being recognized at Baylor University. Well said. Well said. They are chosen. Dr. Tony Talbert, Dr. Helen Harris, thank you so much for being guests this week at Good Faith Weekly. We have enjoyed this robust conversation, and we wish you and the students at uh, GAU the very best. Thank you, Autumn. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Autumn. beautiful. Thank you, Mitch. Tony, love being on your team, bud. You too. You too. Uh, to great. our listeners, we want to thank you again for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. And remember to continue to stand up and speak out. And until next time, remember, keep living good faith.